We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's one from Scott L. Who are the O-line, Who are the other offensive line coaches Ludwig has worked with for more than one year? I mean, other than Harding. That's a great I, question. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know who his offensive line coach was at Vanderbilt, to be no completely idea. honest with you. I, I have no idea. Um, I'm looking at who he worked with at Wisconsin. His offensive line coach back then was TJ Woods, right? I'm not real familiar with him. Not familiar at all with him. So uh, that was Bostad had left at that point in time. Uh, TJ Woods is now at at Georgia Southern. So and that was the year that they had Melvin Gordon run for all those yards. So I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, I couldn't tell you some of those other names to be completely honest with you because it, it, yeah, I'm trying to let's see here. We had um, let's see, San Diego State was 2012, right? They, okay, did, they so did have a pretty good offensive line back then. They had like Terry Poole, Nico Saragusa. It was a pretty you're good talking about line San Diego there. State? Yes. Okay. I mean, I don't know how good the offensive lines were at Wisconsin in 2014, but I do know they had a running back that went for over 2,500 yards, so I'm going to assume that, that they, <laughs> they were decent. They were, that decent. They were yeah. pretty good, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, uh, you know, I, I could be wrong, but I'm just going to go ahead and go on a limb on that one. Like, I don't know who his Fresno State offensive coaching staff was. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I really couldn't tell you. I'm trying to. I'm trying to find it now. I just know that Andy Lug was their offensive coordinator, so I I couldn't tell you. I can. I mean, I could do a search and and try to look more into that here. But let's see if I have the coaches down here, at San Diego State. Some of these teams don't list coaches in their roster, so it's a little harder to find some of these. But um, that's annoying. Yeah, I mean, that's we, something we that we'll probably do, Ryan, if he gets hired. Sure, probably something that we would do. I mean, we could tell you a lot of the players that he's coached at those different spots. Sure. And that matters a, that matters a little bit more to me than yep. Than I didn't know that he that. coached David Carr the year that he went number one overall he, at Fresno. He coached David Carr all four years. That's wild, man. He was there his whole career. And they had remember that receiving core of Rodney Wright and Bernard Barrion? You know, Bernard they Barian were both was, over thirteen hundred yeah. yards. Yeah. He so he and then he coached Kellen Clemens as almost he coached Kellen Clemens for three years 
So he had two quarterbacks in seven years. One went number one overall. The other one in the second round. Yep. Because Kellen Clemens was a multi-year starter for him as well. That was like right after Joey Harrington got done. But Kellen so, Clemens was a lefty, so we don't talk about him. Was I don't remember that. He was a lefty? I think Kellen Clemens was I don't a remember lefty, that. wasn't he? I think so. I don't remember that. I don't remember him being a lefty. I'm going to not, you know, it's going to bother me. So I'm going to have to look it up now. I'm going to have to look up some Kellen Clemens highlights, but I do not remember him being a lefty. I'm not saying you're wrong, right? I'm just saying yeah. I literally don't remember. I so I think so. Yeah, we'll find out so. here real quick. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to watch him throw a pass. He was a righty. So I was wrong, man. That nice. is in dude. He played for the Rams too, man. Come on. How do you not know that? I, I try to forget about Kellen Clemens right now, so <laughs> I, I completely understand. But he turned that guy into a second round draft pick, and that says something sure. to me. And and that was in the era before they really went crazy on overhyping quarterbacks. Like a second round yes. pick right now is like a fourth round pick back in the day sometimes, you know, but <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. Now here's the next one from John A1. John, nice to see you, buddy. Can the offensive line still improve in 2023 without Coach E stand at the wheel? Last year, it seems he broke habits and got back to fundamentals. Can a new coach get them to the next level? And so that coach is, in my opinion. I mean, right. what's the track record? I mean, right. Because John, I mean, the, the talent doesn't change, right, John? And Brian mentioned it, right? You still set the nice baseline in year one. You have talent, obviously, in that room. Blake Fisher's a tremendous talent. Joe Walt's a tremendous talent. You have Zeke Carell. You have guys like Billy Shrout on the bench that are going to try to get starting role this year. You have Andrew Kristoffic, you have Rocco Spindler, you have the five-man class coming in for 2023. Like, it's a tremendously talented group. So can they take it to the next level in 2023? For sure. But that's very dependent on who that offensive line coach is, if you're asking me to instill optimism in that, right? I mean, if they hire, if they get a slam dunk hire, I'm just like, yeah, get that guy to build off of what Harry was, was starting in, in 2022, for sure it could be better. But, I mean, again – we're speculating on who that guy is. We just don't know who that is yet. It also coincides with who the coordinator is. I mean, that yes. matters too. As far as taking a jump, I mean, the offenses of a whole could take a jump, even if the offensive line doesn't. The thing is, with the, you just got to make sure the offensive line doesn't take a step back. That's the key. If the offensive line coach doesn't take a step back, as long as the coordinator helps take that next step, then they'll be fine. They'll be fine. But, John, that's why it's so important to know who specifically it is. In theory, can the offensive line improve in 2023 without he stand? Yes, in theory it can. But if they hire Jeff Quinn again, then no, it won't. Right? If they hire someone else who's not a good coach, then no, it won't. If they hire a good coach, yes, it will. But I also think that's why Chris Watt is important. Because if the new online coach is smart enough and puts his ego aside enough to say, hey, i got to keep this kid around. He knows these kids. He can help me. Like I don't have to start from scratch with these kids. That would be a big thing for me to would, would determine if they're going to take a step or not. I I really think Chris Watts key to this. I, I do. And I may be overhyping. Yeah, he's a GA. Guy knows how to coach. Is he ready for this job yet? I don't know. I don't I don't know. I'd have to be around him more. I'd have to talk to some people more. I, I, I honestly don't know one way or the other. But what I do know is of what I do know, it makes me very comfortable to say you've got to keep him in some capacity. He's very important to keep in some capacity, and I hope that the new offensive coordinator and offensive line coach believe that. Right, And now there's a couple things working against him. <clears throat> He's considered very close to Tommy Reese because they were teammates, and he was Harry Heastan's guy. So how the new OC and O-line coach are, are going to view him is going to be very interesting. I hope they don't hold those things against Chris because I think he could be a tremendous asset to the, the next those two guys, in my opinion. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our next partner is Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every day. I gave AGI a try because I wanted better gut health, sustained energy, immune support system, but I hate taking pills. And I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great, which is helping me kick my sugar addiction. In the morning before I get to work, I like getting something healthy in my body. And with AG1, I'm giving my body the nutrition it craves. It's very important for me to get my day started off with something healthy. But with my schedule, it's hard to prepare healthy meals. AG1 is a very quick way to pack my body with all that I need to jumpstart my day in a very healthy way. Covering my nutritional basis for the day literally couldn't be easier, which is why I trust Athletic Greens. I just mix one small scoop of AG1 with water and drink it first thing every morning. Done. I also like that it costs less than $3 a day. It's pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with the highest quality source ingredients. Win-win. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Irish. That's athleticgreens.com slash Irish. Check it out. Well, nine of my problems, BK ain't one. Brian, why do you say you wouldn't be surprised if there are any more staffing turnover? Just because that's how it works. It's I mean, college football, man. Yeah. That's it. yeah. I mean, look, NFL hiring season is about to start. There's two guys that have on Notre Dame staff that have coached in the NFL before. So, yeah, NFL teams are going to come calling for him. Is it enough to make him leave? I don't know. Wouldn't surprise me. Right? I mean, Notre Dame's got some coaches that are very held in very high regard right now. Yes. And so you're going to see people pursue them. The Al Golden stuff we've already heard about. We've already talked about before. So that's where it came from. It's just that's just where it is. It's kind of the way it works. But it's not it's not intel that someone is definitely leaving, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just one of those conversations where you always have to be open to that right. it might happen. Yep. Well, and just knowing what aspirations were of other coaches. For sure. Right. So um there are still some division one jobs that could open up, right? Head coach at Toledo is interviewed for the Miami job. Now I I don't think he's taken it, but what if a head coach at a Mac school gets a NFL job as a quarterback's coach or offensive line coach or something? All of a sudden, job opens up. Notre Dame coach wants that job. Bam, there it is. 
So there's still a lot of dominoes that are going to fall, and there's some really highly regarded and coveted coaches on the Notre Dame staff. So I'm just saying don't be shocked if people are still coming calling for some of Notre Dame's coaches. It's just the way it's going to be. Brian, we might need to have a conversation at some point about how crazy it would be that Jason Candle turns down the Miami offensive coordinator job twice in two years. To <laughs> stay at Toledo. Yeah, man, that's absurd. <laughs> that's absurd. I, yeah, yeah. And obviously there's some level of interest because he keeps interviewing for it, right? But right. it's still, yeah, it's interesting. Like what's man. the hang up for him Yeah, to keep turning it down? I don't know. It's weird. Very, very. Here's one from Will N.D. Is there any chance that Notre Dame can land Bill Bidabaugh? He's he's the um, the offensive line coach from Oklahoma, in case anybody's wondering. Is there a chance? Sure. Um, there's always a chance. I mean, if Notre Dame wants to throw enough money at him, sure, maybe. It's highly unlikely for two reasons. If Notre Dame were to hire Andy Lowen, again, that's still an if, as far as I know. That's he's he does not coach a system that fits in with what with Andy Lowen coaches. Number one, number two, he's an Oklahoma guy. I mean, through and through in a lot of ways. Yes. And so, um, I do know that Notre Dame reached out to him, Ryan. I, I I was told this. Notre Dame reached out to Bill Bedenball in 2017 when Harry left, and he said no. So uh, you know, it, it's just he's been there since 2013. He seems really happy. He did not go with Lincoln Riley to USC. He stayed at Oklahoma. I just think he likes it there. Yeah, and so I I think that's I just I don't see it. I I mean. Anything can happen in these days. I just would be, it, it would, that's one of those things that Ryan would shock me if that move got made. Yeah. Shock me. He's also, a, he's an interesting person to kind of look at kind of his track record. Cause yes, historically he's done a great job developing offensive linemen at Oklahoma. Last two years though, has not been great from an offensive line perspective at Oklahoma, which is just kind of interesting. Not right. maybe it means nothing. Talent maybe hasn't it's a been as talent, good either. But yeah. yeah, it really hasn't. Um, well, I mean, they just had they just had a guy at the Senior Bowl though, and then they have their left tackles getting mocked in like first two round mock drafts though. The Anton Harrison kid, so I don't know, man. I don't know what the inconsistency is there, but it ain't rocket science, right? Has a question. The staff won't have any issue finding a great offensive line hire. This is O line U. Well, they did hire Jeff Quinn last time. They had an opening, so <laughs> it, look, coaches make bad decisions sometimes. Yes, you know you have to prepare yourself for that. How how will Marcus Freeman do? I have no idea. This this is his first time hiring an offensive line coach in a situation like this. It was a no brainer who they were going to bring in last year, like no brainer. And so it's a different situation. So you also have to look at the standpoint of is Notre Dame willing to pay? That's a big question mark for me right now, Ryan. Big question mark. And Notre Dame's going to have to show me that they're willing to do it. They did it for Marcus Freeman, but they haven't always done it for other assistant coaching spots. Right. Will they do it this time? I don't know. I I think one thing I will say for it ain't rocket science's point, though, there will be a lot of good options out there. Right. Well, but to your point, there will will be a lot of interest. There will be a lot of interest. Now, we'll we'll, look. This is the way it works, Ryan. I have an interest in a job, man. I'd, I'd love to coach at that school. You call the coach up. Oh, we'd love to have you. Cool. What are you going to pay? We're going to pay you 400,000. Coach, I'm making a million bucks right now. Right. You're offering me 500,000, 400,000, 500,000 at a school to move to a state that has a much higher state income tax than the one I'm living in. So not only am I getting half of a my salary reduced, I'm also paying even more of that to in taxes. Like you look at that stuff. 
I, I'd love to have coached at that school, but I'm not doing that. I'm not taking a 50% pay cut to go there. Hey, you know what? I'll take a hundred thousand grand pay cut because I really want to be at that place. And I feel like I can make it back on some bonuses or something like that. Or, okay, sure. Maybe that, but you know, I, I'm making eight. They want to pay me seven. All right. Okay. It's a better tax state. Yeah. It, it'll be fine. It's a great opportunity, whatever the case may be. Sure. But those are all things where it's like, it doesn't always work as easily as like, I want you, you want us. Cool. Let's make it happen. Sure. Yeah. I want you, you want us, but my AD or my, you know, is not willing to give me the seven figures. I need to hire you. Okay. So I can't hire you. Right. Cause that's what you need. And yeah, I know you'd love to work with me, but I also know you can't take a half a million dollar pay cut. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I get it. It's so it, there's a lot more that goes into it than just, I like this guy. He likes us, you know? Here's the next one from Chief Brody. Mailbag from Chief. Do you think the staff changes this offseason have significantly hurts Notre Dame's 2023 playoff aspirations? How can I possibly have an answer to that without knowing who the new hires are going to be? I mean, I mean, yeah, to your point, Bill Brian. If, if so, Chief, in in this scenario, though, if you told me that you get Andy Ludwig as your offensive coordinator and a really good offensive line coach, does it hurt their chances? Nah, I don't think so at all. If anything, it might have improved a little bit, if I'm being honest, right? So, I mean, it's circumstantial, right? Because then you're also talking about, well, if there's another Notre Dame staff member that leaves and there's another replacement that has to happen. I mean, this is a, I think this is a question more for after the hiring cycle is over and we know exactly who the coaching staff is. And then ask us then, has your opinion changed at all before and after these recent hires? Then that's a conversation, right. in my opinion. Much better question after we know who the new coaches are going to be. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Next one is from uh, Gavin KGD. Gavin KGD, mailbag. I get we're not in position to seriously talk offensive line coaches yet, but I'm curious about Andy Heck from the Chiefs. I was super impressed with how – his line dealt with Philadelphia last night. I will say this about names for the offensive line coach. I have no problem if you guys want to bring up names and ask our opinion. I just want to make sure we're clear on that. It's just we're not going to do a formal show about it until or make it part of our structure of our normal show because we don't know who the offensive coordinator is going to be. And the offensive coordinator, from what we have been told, is going to have a big say in who the new line coach is going to be. So that's really where it comes from, why we're not going to say this is a candidate, that's a candidate, all those type of things. But if you guys want to bring up names, feel free. And so Gavin wants to talk about Andy Heck. I mean, Ryan, from everything I've been told from everyone I talk to that follows the NFL, he's done a great job with that Kansas City offensive line, a great job with it. But here's my only concern. He was a graduate assistant coach at, at Virginia for like three years after he retired from the NFL. He's been in the NFL ever since. Since so 2003, I, right? Or I don't think like that. that was his last year in college. His yeah. last year in college as a coach was when Ty Willingham was in his second year at Notre Dame. I don't think some of you all realize the the step down it is and what you're teaching to go from NFL to college. And it's much easier to be a college guy to step up to the NFL to enhance what you're teaching it's much easier than a guy that's been conditioned to be able to teach this much for so long. You're teaching. I mean, he's had guys that are in their mid to late thirties. He's coaching the offensive line at Kansas city veteran pro. I mean, pros veteran guys and he's coached, but his young guys are like 23, 24, 25 years old yep. to go from that to college. That's a hard thing. And so 
Could he do it? Maybe. Some coaches can. Some coaches can coach no matter what level they coach at. I mean, they're just they're just know how to coach people. Others struggle. Uh, they just they just do. And and so that'd be my fear with Andy Heck is can he coach an 18-year-old that you've got to start at guard because he's just ready to go after he's been coaching 30-something-year-olds his whole career? I don't have an answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. And that's my only concern. If you could tell me, hey, I've worked with him at at O-line clinics, and trust me, he can do that, and you're somebody who I knew no, knew offensive line, and I said, okay, cool, sign me up, right? Because it'd be a great recruiting tool. Bro, I've been coaching the NFL last two years. i got two Super Bowl rings. I've produced this pro bowler and that, this, that, and the other thing, right? I'm, I'm also, oh, by the way, I was also a starting left tackle on the last Notre Dame National Championship team. It'd be a great selling thing. So I'd be incredibly interested in Andy Heck if he wanted to come and take the job. I mean, first of all, I don't know why he would, but if he did have interest – Heck yeah, I'd want to talk to him, but I would have a major concern, Ryan, about his ability to kind of coach down to the college level. That'd be a major, major concern for me, to be well, completely honest with you. I, I, as, as Marcus Freeman, I'd have to get that answer, like, big time. For sure. And, I mean, again, I'll, I'll kind of harp on the first part of the conversation, though. I mean, the guy hasn't been in college football in 20 years, right? Like, 20 years. He has two Super Bowl. You were twelve years old the last time he was a college football, and that was as a GA. Right. Yeah, and and again, twenty years. I think that speaks volumes for that he probably likes the pro game, right? He has two Super Bowl rings, and honestly, you're already an offensive line coach for a Super Bowl champion. I mean, if we're talking about the money side of things as well, do you, I mean it's unlikely that Notre Dame is able to match money that an NFL team could put out for you as an offensive line coach as in the same role, right? So. I just think that there's – I mean, that's a lot of hurdles to get past, right? I mean, that's just – yeah. I think people need to understand something. Somebody just said he disagrees with me because an NFL coach, he would know more. Exactly. Here's yeah. the thing. Al Golden knew more too. Sorry, some, that was mean. That was no, mean. It, it's fine. Like, some people – like, if I'm teaching, like, AP Advanced Senior Calculus and you're asking me to teach eighth-grade rudimentary math, some people can do it because they're just great teachers. Other people are so used to communicating with a certain level of terminology that they don't have a, the ability to kind of, um, I'll say dumb it down because it's going to come across as disrespectful, but like to, to communicate it in a way that a, a, an eighth grader can handle, right? It's the same thing here. We see this all the time. Guys that are in the NFL come to college and they're just not able to kind of get down to that level because you can't coach a 19-year-old college freshman or redshirt freshman the same way you do your 32-year-old, 10-year veteran left tackle who's made five straight Pro Bowls. You just can't. And some people have the ability to do that, to go down, and some people don't. My question is, I don't know Andy Heck. I don't know if he has the ability to bring it down to that level. Because if you think about it, and I mean, does he Andy, want to? Sorry to cut you off, but does I'm he just, want to? I'm saying, yeah. assuming he does, just for the sake of sure. argument, right? Just, just for the yeah. sake of argument. Thing you have to understand is, since 1989, since 1989, Andy Heck has been employed in the NFL for all but three years. Because when he retired in 2000, he went to coach with Al Groh for three years at Virginia and then came back to the NFL. He's been coaching the NFL ever since. So, you know, my whole thing is this this is now what f- over 30 years he's been in college, he's been in the NFL for all but three years. 
I'd be concerned about his ability to say, hey, I'm going to take you down to this level and, and coach at this rudimentary level. Because in the NFL, you assume a lot. That's what Charlie Weiss's big problem was, Ryan. Charlie Weiss was a wicked smart dude. And when he had veteran players that had already been taught how to play the game, they were able to roll. But the next three years, Notre Dame didn't struggle offensively because of lack of talent. They struggled because they didn't have a staff that knew how to teach these kids the basic fundamentals of playing football that are so much more important in college football than they are the NFL. Because in the NFL, Ryan, you assume that there's certain things that you already have. In college, you can't assume any of that. Yeah, Maybe he could do it. Maybe. And if he can, great. I'm all for it if I knew he could coach down to the college kids. All for it. I always make sure I'm clear. I'm just telling you, when a guy's been in the NFL, Al Golden was in the NFL for seven years and lost the ability to teach college players. In seven freaking years. He'd been in college football for two decades before that. And in seven years, lost the ability to teach down, coach down to, to college players. You know, maybe maybe he can get it back, but it's a tougher transition yeah. than what people act like it is. And, so. and let's not let's not forget the fact that the NFL is very much a passing oriented league now, and he's not coming from a system that that runs the football eighty seven thousand times a game, right? He's coming from a system where they are. He, I'll tell you this: if he could coach the college, because I know for a fact they know how to protect the quarterback. <laughs> Would they be able to run the football? You know, it's a different game. It's a different game. I would think so. I mean, if you don't have a coach line, you know, but I'm just, it's just a different thing. So I just don't think it's as easy for people to, to, to make that jump. For some people it is, Ryan, you know this. For some people, man, they can coach, they can talk football no matter who their audience is. And they're just, that's it. Lou Holtz is that way. You know, if he's around people that don't, he starts using a little bit more, a few more parables, more stories, knows how to tone down the language than he does if he's dealing with a bunch of fifth-year seniors in Notre Dame. And that's why he was great. Not everybody can do that. I struggled with that, right? I, that's one of the reasons I, I always kind of wondered, like, would I really be able to t- coach high school? And I'm talking like Division three college, 1AA college to, to high school. I struggle with that. It's one of the things I struggled with when I first started doing this, Ryan, is I would be saying things that I thought assumed everybody else knew. And they didn't. And but, well, I don't understand what that means. You don't know what cover three is? Like, I'm like how do you not know it? I just assume that everybody knew that, right? And so it, it can be a challenge. It can be a challenge. But I'll say this. If Andy Heck called, I am absolutely freaking taking that call. If Andy Heck wanted to come in and talk about my opening, I am absolutely freaking bringing him in to talk about my opening. I would just have to, I would have to have some really key conversations about, hey, man, can you teach this? What's your philosophy on this? How do you communicate this? What are the... I need to really make sure that I know that he understands how to coach college kids. No doubt. That would be my only concern, Ryan, with Andy Heck. Everything else checks the boxes, dude, right? I mean, every alum, national champion at Notre Dame, Super Bowl winner as a coach. Yeah, box is checked all over the place. Yeah. So well, I, yeah. I guess, I guess again, my my biggest thing, and you know, I just kind of keep coming back to it is. You're a 20 year NFL guy, right? As a coach, you've coached Super Bowl winners. Is that really a move that you want to make? You know, I mean, like, that's well, not a. I think I it's it might all be the modern and everything. Well, but, but see, that's the thing, though, right? What else does he have to prove at the NFL level? Right? You get that. You I get know that. he loves Notre Dame. I've met him, actually. I was actually hanging out with Todd Light one night at uh, uh, having, I don't say where, having dinner one night, and Andy Heck walks in with one of his kids. Nice. I'm like, you know, wow, it's freaking Andy Heck. You know what I mean? Like this is when Todd Light was coaching here. And so I know he loves Notre Dame. He comes back to Notre Dame when he can. 
And his two sons were pretty well coached offensive linemen. They just weren't super talented, but they were well coached. Right. Wait, if you remember he, um, the heck John, that was at North Carolina. Yeah. Yep. He had he two stuck around them. in the NFL for a little bit. Yeah. But those are both Andy Hex kids. The younger yes. one that was drafted, I believe, is the one that I met. I believe that's the one that I met. So how how, how old um how tall is Andy Heck? Is he a six six? Six six, yeah. Yeah, he's a big guy. He was yeah. a big guy. So actually, Ryan, just so you know, he was actually a tight end until that last couple of years in Notre Dame. He started off at tight. Back then, tight ends were blockers. Yes. Right. I mean, <laughs> so, but yeah, he, um, it's wild that you weren't even born yet when they won the title in 88. That makes me so sad and old. I was, I was negative three. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's a tall guy. He's a bigger guy. And both of his kids were were really tall as well. Yeah. And I know the most recent heck that was at North Carolina was like six, seven, man. He was a big yeah. dude. <laughs> yep. Here's a question from Ant VR. We kind of addressed this, but but I wanted to speak to it again, Ryan. I'll I'll, I'll sure. read it because it, it's more for you. Ant VR asks: Interesting that the offer to Sprague went out the day after Harry Heastan retired. Is there a possibility that Harry Heastan wasn't on board with the offer, and is the reason why it hadn't been made yet? Is it possible? I mean, sure, right? Like, I mean, it's possible, but it also could be possible, Ant, that. It was in the plans, and then Marcus Freeman is just continuing the plan out, right? That he's like, yeah, we were going to offer you, we were going to offer Andrew Sprague because they've been they've been out to see Andrew Sprague a couple times before the dead period, right? Like obviously there was some sort of interest there, and it, honestly, could have been the plan that like, hey, we're going to offer him, you know, soon here, and then start to really get that in, and then I mean, because that's I think that's the most likely one for me, just based upon like just kind of the timing of things is I think that Marcus Freeman is just like, hey guys. This stinks, but we're still business as usual, right? We're still sticking with the plan. And the plan is that we like Andrew Sprague and we're going to offer Andrew Sprague. So it's going to be interesting to see how much. I mean, look, I, I think just kind of my brief conversation with Andrew after that offer is that, I mean, I think he's very, very happy about it, right? Like, oh, that's awesome, Notre Dame. But at the end of the day, the next offensive line coach, that's where the momentum is is eventually made, right? Is As far as that relationship and then, building that there for. So it was a little bit of an awkward timing of things, but I do think that this was probably like business as usual in my opinion. Just kind of joking about the conversation we just had. I would assume that hiring the Kansas City Chiefs coach would go over well for an offensive lineman from Rockhurst High School in Kansas City. So I'm going to assume that. I think it would go okay. And they say you shouldn't assume, but – I'm going to go ahead and assume. I, I think one. Andrew Sprague probably would know who Andy Heck is. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so, all right, here's one from 99 Problems of BK81. Guys like Tommy Reese sold Notre Dame more than himself. However, with Harry Heastan, it always sounded like recruits picked Notre Dame because they wanted to be coached by Harry. Will his loss hurt recruiting more than usual? Again, a lot of this stuff, guys, is just it depends on who they hire. Yeah. Right. Like if they hire some dude no one's ever heard of, yeah, it could hurt. Because here's the crazy thing is Sharon Moore has won back to back Joe Moore Award titles. Michigan's not killing it in offensive line recruiting because most kids don't know who the heck he is. Yes. Like he, he was a tight ends coach. Like he was a no, he was not a guy that anybody knew. And you look at it and it's like, Harry, he stands killing this guy on the recruiting trail for kids that he wants. Like, but the dudes won back to back Joe Moore awards. His lines have been outstanding the last two seasons. Yeah, but he doesn't. Michigan, the Michigan won a Charles Jagasaw bad. Oh yeah, man, they wanted Sam Pendleton. Yes, right. So it just comes down to Ryan is is it just depends on who they hire. 
Yep. Right now, if Sharon Moore came to Notre Dame, he would now carry a little bit more of a reputation that he's built for himself. For sure. Right. So uh, the other part of it, too, is Notre Dame to a degree sells itself. How many times did we hear see a kid commit to Notre Dame when Jeff Quinn was here where they talk about O-line you? Like, bro, he didn't have anything to do with that. You know what I mean? And and we talked about this like it wasn't until 2021, the worst line Notre Dame has had in a long time where you had an offensive line made up primarily of Jeff Quinn recruits. Right. What was the problem? He didn't coach him the same foundational way that Harry Heastan did. The 2020 right. offensive line that was a, a Joe Moore award finalist was guys that were recruited and coached by Harry Heastan. And so you, you, those are different things that kind of factor into it, Ryan. But you still sell O-line U to recruits. So, uh, you still do. But you gotta you gotta bring in a coach that's got a little bit of substance to him as well. The thing that hurts Sharon more is yeah, Michigan's Michigan used to be a great producer of offensive line. I mean, you go back to like the Steve Hutchinson, John Jansen, like those John days, Runyon's. like Tom Hutchinson, yeah. um, they were producing tons of great of offensive linemen. And they had a center back then too that was that was uh, Steve Everett. Back, even before those guys was was a really good player in college. But it, it's been a while since Michigan's really produced. I mean, they've produced some guys, Taylor Lewan. They've produced some individual players, but they haven't like been a team known for great offensive line play. Until Sharon Moore came in, and and I mean, and they were good the prior years, but they've taken it to another level the last couple of years, with mostly guys Ryan that aren't high level. I mean, where's Ryan Hayes being projected in the NFL draft? Right? Uh, he's a late round draft pick. Yeah, right. Zach yeah. Zinner's going back for a sixth year. You know, where's yeah. the center? Who? I mean, he coached for one year. What's he a day two, oh. day three guy at best? I mean, day three guy probably. He's probably an early to mid day three player. Right. Olu Oluwatini. Yes. So I mean, he's not working with Joe Walton, Blake Fishers, and he did a great job. <laughs> so not. moving forward, I expect Coach Moore to recruit better. But he was. I mean, he, that he needed do Joe Moore awards to finally start maybe being able to do that. But they have a recruited offensive line like you'd expect the team. If Harry Heastan recruited and won back-to-back Joe Moore awards, like he would literally get anyone he wants, basically. Why? Because he would have that success plus the track record. And that's what Coach Moore's trying to build. So the point is, hopefully you're bringing someone in that has a similar reputation. But if you don't, you're still going to be okay because you have that O-line U tradition you're still selling that right. other schools don't have. Well, and I mean, because – Brian, we talked about when Coach Eastan got in here. It's like, you know, Joe Walton, Blake Fisher were already in the door, right? It's like you were still able to attract really good talents because you are Notre Dame and the, what the past has kind of proven in there. It's about, though, the difference, obviously, is can you also coach that talent to get to their highest ability, right? Like that's the biggest question mark. Yep. And at Notre Dame, you can make a name for yourself real fast, right? Oh, yeah. And, and a perfect example, we just talked about what Sharon Moore did. Let's just – use Joe Harding as an example, just to prove a point. Okay. Let's just say hypothetically, Andy Lovewood comes to Notre Dame. I don't know if he's going to, let's say, for example, he brings Joe Harding. I don't know if he is. This is a hundred percent hypothetical. A lot of recruits are like, I don't know who that is. Sure. Right. Like you, but if he wins a Joe Moore award next year at the town line, then now everyone knows who he is. Cause the Notre Dame's just a different animal because of the pre, the previous reputation already existed as O-line you. And so that's, that's whereas Sharon Moore has to kind of build it up, not from scratch, but just you know, he's creating a reputation in Michigan, one that did not necessarily exist there for a long time, yep. right? And and that's the difference. So and, and bringing I a guy that does the job, too. Brian, that's the yeah. key for me. And I would say a lot of offensive linemen 
they there's a stereotype that there's just these big lumbering dudes that like to hit people. Some of the smartest dudes that I've had the conversation to talk to, man. Like a lot of those guys really value education, you know, and everyone says they value education, but like, you know, Sam Pendleton valued education, you know, you know, Sullivan Absher, Charles Jagasaw, like those dudes valued that part of the conversation as well. So there's a lot of Notre Dame that sells itself. But to your point, Brian, if you're able to develop now and top of that for the next guy coming in, then makes yourself a lot easier on the recruiting trail. There's no doubt. We had a question earlier, Ryan, and I wanted to bring it up, and I didn't start it. I thought I did. It was from Archer, and he said, so there's been two quarterbacks that have won two Super Bowl MVPs. Okay. Uh, three quarterbacks He uh, is what he said. Joe Montana, Tom okay. Brady, Pat Mahomes. Who, he said, rank them. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Can I rank them based where they were when they were 27 years old? Because it's the only way I could Go do for it, it, right? I mean, it's the only fair way to do it, yes. Pat Mahomes, number one. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, Montana and Brady's a tough one, man. That's a tough one. I don't know. <sighs> Just for the record, uh, by the time uh, when Joe Montana was 27, I believe he had two Super Bowls as well. Yeah. So yeah. just give me one second to find that out. I'm trying to find his plus. Here we go. Uh, no, he only had one Super Bowl. He won his second Super Bowl at the age of 28. Okay. I'd probably go Montana then Brady at the age of 27, but it's, I mean, it's what Tom Brady did from 30 on. It's like, it's insane, you know, right. what he was able to accomplish after 30. So different era as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Joe Montana's career really, I mean, he, he has, he had some, he's some underrated years, you know, won a Super Bowl in 1981 that a lot of people forget about. They had the 84 win over the Dolphins, but the teams he played on like in 88 and 89 were just unreal teams. You know, the, the back-to-back Super Bowls he had in 88 and 89 were just really unreal teams. Um, that's when he really cemented things. And then after that, he got hurt and was never the same guy and, Ended up getting traded to the to the Chiefs and played two years with the Chiefs and took them to the playoffs and uh, t- twice beat John Elway actually uh, in one of the, a great game in Mile High Stadium. I think it was a regular season game, but uh, I mean it's so hard because the games are so different, Ryan. And and yep. you know, oh, Tom Brady won seven Super Bowls. Okay, playing on some great teams. I mean, you know, I don't want to take it away from them, but put John Elway on some of the teams that Tom Brady played on, put Aaron Rodgers on some of the teams that Tom Brady played on, you know, put, put Joe Montana in his prime. 
it's just that's why I hate comparing those kind of eras. Here's what I'll say. If I was drafting a team and I could have one of those three guys, I'm taking Pat Mahomes. Why? Because his style of play is more what I like in a quarterback. Is that fair? Higher and upside with him too. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. if I was someone who wanted to run a West Coast offense, I'd probably hire Mon- I'd probably take Mon- Montana, right? And so you know, it just depends on what you're trying to do. That's the other thing too. Is uh, me personally, I personally like the style of play that Pat Mahomes brings. I like a guy that can make plays off script. I like the guy that can move around and run around and do those type of things. Joe Montana could do that to a degree, and and and, and Mahomes could do that to a degree. Brady couldn't really do that to the same degree, right? He was no. a pure pocket guy. So I, just for me, that's why well, I'd probably go with Mahomes just for style of play wise. But Montana was a tremendous player as well. He really was, yep. and so was Brady. I mean, it's three greats. There's no way to lose in that. I mean, to get one of those three, you're not losing. You're you're in good you're good. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're in good shape. But I thought that I mean, was that's, interesting. That's how many Super Bowls? Seven for Brady, what's four for Montana, and then two uh-huh. for Mahomes. So right. 13 Super Bowls, not too bad. Right. But the thing is, but see to me though, that stuff to me, that, that stuff gets overplayed a little bit. Like, oh, this guy won X number of Super Bowls. I'm like Super Bowl is a team award. You know, like somebody's oh, Mahomes got blown out in one. So what does that have to do with him? His team wasn't as good. In that game, yeah. right? So who they and they lost to Brady, right? Yeah, Didn't, exactly. His Super Bowl losses to Brady. Yep. So, you know, yeah, different era. Played on some great teams. I did. I will say this: I did give Brady a lot more respect when he won that Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. He got away from Belichick and won one. Yeah, that gave me. He's a great player. It's just again, you're you're because here's the thing. If we're going to say it's only about the rings, then stop talking to me about LeBron James and Michael Jordan being the greatest basketball player of all time. Because there's no, if it's about rings, there's no debate who the greatest basketball player of all time is. Bill Russell. Bill Russell, and it's not even close. It's got 11 championships. Exactly. It's not even close. Yeah. Right. Well, but then the argument is, well, but, but, but he played on such great teams. Thank you. Exactly. Right. It's not always about the rings. If you're always part of the best team, it doesn't mean that you are necessarily the best. Now, was Tom Brady an incredibly important part of that? Yes, absolutely. He is one of the greatest ever play the game. But just saying he's the GOAT, well, the stats say this, and the Super Bowl say this, blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's fine. He's a great player. But it's not just about the rings, because if it's just about the rings, then why do we ever say any, have even a con- – I mean, LeBron and Jordan's rings combined only pass Bill Russell by one. And here's the other thing. Bill Russell won a championship as a player coach. He also coached some of those Celtics teams when they won championships. I don't see LeBron and Michael Jordan out there coaching their teams. You know what I mean? So it's just how do I compare Ken Griffey to Babe Ruth? Fewer teams, travel was different. Babe Ruth faced how many many times did Babe Ruth face Satchel Page? You know what I'm saying? Right? How do I compare those eras? It's impossible. So it's really about generations to me. And Tom Brady was, I think, the greatest quarterback of his generation. I think we can say that of the of his peers, he was. Pat Mahomes is in a battle for the greatest of his generation. Right now, he's at the top. But let's let their careers play out. Let's see what Josh Allen can do. Let's see what Joe Burrow can do, right? When it's all said and done. And we'll find out. 
There's no, we'll find but out. there there is no debate that Ken Griffey Jr. has the greatest swing of all time. Oh, I mean, if you're going to debate that, then I'm just banned, banned, oh, man. banned. It was beautiful. I could just watch swing. him swing a bat for hours, right. man. It's insane. But it's just like you can't compare him to Ted Williams. You know, it's like was it you? I was having this. It was Sean Davis was having this conversation with, and and I was like, do y'all understand that Ted Williams left Major League Baseball? in the early prime of his career to go fight in a war. Like, yeah. do y'all get that? Like Ted Williams had been in the major leagues for four years at the age of 23 years old. He was drafted in the military. He fought, he, he literally flew fighter jets in world war two and in Korea, literally fought, flew fighter jets, Ryan in his fourth year in major league baseball, he hit 36 home runs, 137 RBIs and had a three fifty six batting average. He missed three seasons fighting in a war, and he comes back after three years, and he hits 38 homers, 123 RBIs, and hits 342. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's nuts. It's okay. And if you expand his stats over not missing those years to the war, he has over 700 home runs. and So, like, how do I compare Barry Bonds to that? Right? Did Barry Bonds have to go fight in a war? You know what I mean? Like Barry Bonds played in a different era, smaller ballparks. There's just, it's just impossible to compare those two eras. And so I just say, here's the best of your era and enjoy that. Michael Jordan was the best player of his era. You know, I think Larry Bird was the best player of his era. Right? Because I don't think those eras, I mean, if you want to talk about what Michael Jordan did while him and Larry Bird in the same league, Michael Jordan never beat Larry Bird ever. Right, 90s belong to Jordan, 80s, it's Magic and Larry. Right, 60s, Bill Russell. It's just different eras to me. But right now, right now it's Pat Mahomes' world. <laughs> and they're all they're all chasing him. And I don't think that's a question. No doubt. Yeah. Yep. All right. Here's some more. It's, it's some fun stuff today. Some fun stuff to talk about today. Let's get to here is this one from Archer 452, Ryan. I'm going to ask this because I want to get your thoughts first. Where would you rank this Super Bowl on the quality of the game against other recent Super Bowls? It was up there with Kansas City versus the Niners and Seahawks and Pats for me. I mean, I feel like I need to go back and look at a list of all the recent Super Bowls. I mean, I can't remember all of them, obviously, but I mean, it was it was one of the best recent memory Archer. I mean, I would just phrase it as simple as that. I mean, it, it had everything that you wanted in a football game. You know, it had halftime adjustments. It had a team going down to an early deficit. It had a comeback. Great it also had a play. Yep. It had also had a great comeback and also a result, a, a, a answer back to a great comeback that got two teams tied. And there was a lot of back and forth, which I think makes a great Super Bowl. So, I mean, that's one of the best that I can remember in recent years. But, again, I need to look at a list because there's a lot of Super Bowls. Last obviously. year you had the Rams and Bengals. Uh, the year before that, yep. This one was better than that one, in my opinion. Uh, maybe not for you, but that's more of a personal thing, right? Oh, that was one of the two best That was one of the two best Super Bowls of all time. So, right. I don't know. Yeah. Which one was? The, the one last year. And also the one in uh, 99-2000 season. Because the Rams won, right? From both of those, okay. yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so a little bit, little bit different. Tampa Bay blew out Kansas City the year before. I didn't I didn't necessarily – I don't remember the Kansas City Niners game being that overly great to me. Kansas City won 31-20. It was a good that's game. The, but- that's the one where um, 
San Francisco had a chance, and then Garoppolo airmailed that yeah. long touchdown that would have been a touchdown. And yeah. yeah, yeah. The year before that was one of the worst Super Bowls ever. That was the New England 13 Rams three game. That was that terrible. Was game. That was not the, game. The Eagles Patriots game the year before that was a really good Super Bowl. Oh, that was a great Super Bowl. Yeah, that was, that was a, a really Super good Super Bowl. Nick Foles. Uh, yes. That was a fun, entertaining game. Uh, Patriots and Falcons, blah. The Broncos Carolina game was great for Patriots, me. Falcons, the 28 to 3 game? Come no, on, man. That was, that, was, that was a choke job. That wasn't a great game. That was an absolute <laughs> choke job. Great comeback. The, the Broncos Carolina game was great for me, but it was not a it was an ugly game. I mean, it was a very ugly game. I, I still have Cam not jumping on the fumble imprinted in my mind. Yeah. So yeah. The New England Seattle game was a very good Super Bowl. That's the one that was the one where Russell Wilson threw the pick late in the game, right? At the goal um, line, yeah. The the Denver Bron- the Denver Seattle game was terrible. The Ravens San Francisco game to me is always going to be ruined by the lights going out. Because well, it just the momentum of the game, killed though. the vibe, man. Like it really it, killed the vibe of the game. It put the momentum but, for the 49ers, though, because you remember yeah, Baltimore was running really away with that did. guy. <laughs> it really did. And it just takes away a little bit for me um the, the goodness of that of, of that game. You know, uh Giants it, Patriots, boring game, Packers, pa- Steelers was a decent game. Saints uh Colts was an okay game. The Steelers Cardinals Super Bowl was a really entertaining Super Bowl. Yeah, the one that San Antonio uh, Holmes yeah, catch in the back of the end yeah, zone. Yeah, that was yeah. a real entertaining Super Bowl. Um, I, and look, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm biased, obviously, but I still feel like one of the five best Super Bowls ever was the Broncos Packers Super Bowl. That was a phenomenal Super Bowl. That's like the one where two, John Mobley tipped the ball away at the yes. end, right? Last so, drive. Rob yeah. Davis was the MVP at three rushing touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, New England Denver was up seventeen seven early. Uh, New England came third quarter. Terrell gets hurt. New England comes back, ties it at 17. Denver goes up and scores. Pat, Packers sco- tie it up. Or no, uh, yeah, Packers tied up. Then Elway and T- Terrell leave them on, lead them on that long drive, and then they score. Packers let them score. Uh, D- Packers come down. Mobley tips the fourth down pass. So, I mean, that was yeah. a great game. And didn't Denver's Terrell, huge underdogs as well. Terrell Davis had like a migraine he couldn't see, right? Missed a whole like – a whole second quarter. He played yeah. one play in the second quarter, and it's that you see it on NFL films. He couldn't see, but yeah, Shanahan was like, "You got to." Yeah. Could you imagine if a coach did that today? Nah. He'd get fired. I mean, shouldn't, but he'd get fired. He said, "You don't need to see. You just do this." And Elway walks in for the for the uh, for the score, but he missed the. He rushed for 150 yards, Ryan, in that game, and missed a whole second quarter. Like that that offense that was an offensive line clinic that game against yeah. Gilbert Brown and Reggie White. And that was a heck of a defensive line. Gilbert Brown so, was a big man. He was a big man. Yep. <laughs> Remember growing up, I don't know if it was like free, but growing up Super Bowls usually sucked. You had the one Bills Giants Super Bowl, but most of them were always blowouts for me, like late eighties and then the nineties. Like, see, like you had, you had the Giants, you had the, uh, the, the 40, the going all the way back to 1983. Washington smacked Miami. The Raiders beat the Redskins 38 to 9. The Niners killed Miami. The Bears beat New England 46 to 10. Giants beat the Broncos by 19. Redskins beat the Broncos by 32. You had the great Niners Bengals game. Then the next year, the Niners beat Denver 55 to 10. Then you had the great Giants Bills game. And then the next year, the Redskins smashed the Bills. Then the Dallas beat them 52 to 17. And then Dallas beat Buffalo 30 to 13. And the next year, San Francisco killed San Diego. 
Dallas smacked Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was in it for a little bit. Green Bay killed the Patriots the next year. And then you had that, that great Denver game. The next year, Denver smacked the Patriots. And then you had the, the great game between the Titans and Rams that next year. Then the Ravens killed the Giants. But then it was kind of back and forth. But starting around 2004 with that Patriots-Carolina game, you started having a lot more, to me, better Super Bowls. Yeah. And the Patriots were in some really good games. Lost some, won some. That's the other crazy thing about Tom Brady. Dude's been in like nine Super Bowls. Because he actually lost a couple. Yeah, to, lost to, to the Giants to, twice. Yeah, twice to Eli. And including one team that you could argue is the best team he was ever part of. <laughs> yeah, with Randy Moss. They, dude, they almost went 19-0. It was wild. Yeah. It was yeah. wild. All right. Let's um, – next question from 99 Problems of BK81. Let's get down to that one. What was the bond between Harry Heastan and Tommy Reese? It's not like Harry Heastan coached him directly, and he spent a few years on the staff with him. How could Tommy Reese's presence be the make or break for Harry Heastan like it clearly was? I think you're greatly underrating the relationship between a head, an offensive line coach and a quarterback. It, very underrating it. And, and so, yes, he was with Tommy for two seasons as a player. His own first season as a coach but he's been around South Bend for much of the last several years and they have developed a relationship over the years. So yeah, they, they were very interwoven. There's no question about it. I mean, an offensive line coach is going to have a very good relationship with a quarterback. If he's a good offensive line coach, in my opinion, Ryan. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was very strong, but again, it was, it was him and Tommy had stayed in touch. They'd stayed connected. They were like, when he left Notre Dame in 2017, he didn't just stop talking to these guys. Him and Tommy continued to have a professional relationship. And so it wasn't just out of the blue where Tommy calls up here. like, hey, you want to come coach? I haven't seen you since 2017. You want to come coach? It didn't happen like that. <laughs> it didn't happen like that at all. So, that, so again, I, I think Harry was comfortable being retired and was really going to come back for one reason, and that was to coach Notre Dame. And I was hoping it would be more about Notre Dame than Tommy Reese, but apparently it was not. So – it's disappointing, but it is what it is. As long as he's not going to Alabama, it's okay, though. Yep. Again, the last couple questions. We're going to do one from Joe Papiti, and then we're going to do a super chat from just your ordinary Joe, my guy. So let's Joe's get to question, this one from Joe. Is this coach carousel the exact reason why many college players have zero loyalty to a program? I, I don't know. I mean, some people use it that way, wrongly, you know, because the reality is, is, is it's just it's different for you're an employee and if players want to be treated like coaches cool just so you know then if you don't play well next year i can fire you because i can do that to a coach just want to let you know that but uh, it's part of it and to and and to a degree there's some merit to it right i mean to me harry he stands situation is a little different than tommy reese's right like how would tommy reese felt if his quarterback that he coached and developed would have gone to him and said hey I want to go to Bama now because I think Bama gives me a better chance to get to the NFL. Probably be pretty pissed about it, sure. right? Most coaches would. But then you put a coach in that situation, and they're going to be like, yeah, well, this is what's best for me. So, yeah, I get it. I get it. I mean, it's not apples to apples in my opinion, but there's some similarity to it. But to me, it just depends about how honest were you with the kids and how you treated them. I mean, if you're honest with kids, you let them know, like, hey, this is just how it goes sometimes. And you know, I, I recruited you to come to Notre Dame for Notre Dame, not to come play for me. Then, you know, I, I think people have a little bit more um, respect for it. Knowing, like, dude, I didn't come here to play for you. I came here to Notre Dame. And then you're going to have a little different view of it than 
dude, the only reason I'm here is because of you. You're going to have a different view of it. But it's it, there's some hypocrisy there, Ryan, I would say. I, I think is. it's hard to say there isn't. It, it's yeah. different. I mean, you're an employee. You know, you, you have a wife and kids to, to deal with. Most college players, uh, other than BYU and Utah, don't have that to deal with. So I'm not making that as a joke. I mean, it's just, you know, there's a lot of Mormon players at BYU and Utah, and they tend to take missions, and some of the, a lot more of those guys are happen to be married with children. It's just a just a fact. I hope it didn't come across as an insult. It's just the reality of it. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a different animal. Yeah. Well, I, I would say, I mean, I think that most coaches – well, not most coaches. I think there's a lot of coaches that are very open with aspirations as well, right? I mean, there's – look, I, I think when we talked about the C.J. Carr stuff, for instance, Brian – like I think that CJ understood that Tommy Reese probably wasn't going to be there forever, right? Yep. I mean, I think that I think he's probably well. I know he's, he's smart, smart enough, enough yeah. to understand that, right? And I think that most coaches, I mean, because Notre Dame does have a lot of younger coaches on their coaching staff, right? I know this is a little different than the Harry Heastand conversation because he's going into retirement, but I mean, like Dila McCullough has other aspirations, right? Maybe Chancey Stuckey will. He like, said I mean, that I when he was hired, and that's the yeah, thing exactly. I like uh, respect about Dylan is he never hid that. Yeah, so when he got hired, I want to be a head coach. He's yep. he's never hidden that. And, and Tommy's always been open as well about, you know, that there's, you know, there's an end game, right? Like there's a long-term goal. And, and I don't think anybody should feel bad about, like, there should be no negative opinion on that. Like, could you be, could you be upset that Tommy Reese left to go to Alabama when you knew that the NFL was his, you know, end goal? Sure. We can have that conversation. Right. But at the end of the day, I think as long as you're open and honest with these players and that they understand where you're coming from and what your career aspirations are, I, I think that it's a very understood – it's an understood um, relationship that happens. We did have one other question that I wanted to get to, Ryan, that I missed earlier, and this is from Brandon Plesner, and he says, does Notre Dame have assistant coach positions and GAs, or are they the same thing? Like, is an assistant linebacker coach and the linebacker GA different uh, position different or the same? How many assistant position coaches can you have? It's the uh, – it's, it's different. Or, I mean, it's the same. Excuse me. It's just different terminology. An assistant linebacker coach, unless he's one of the 10 full-time assistants, is just another name to either give an analyst, who then is the assistant linebacker coach off the field. He'll do film work. He'll do different things with him, but he can't coach him on the field. Or it's the name you give to your GA uh, because you want to you know, give him a different title to help him on his resume. And, and also to better reflect the role that he has, you know, and so... His responsibilities. Right. Yeah. Right. So like I had somebody reach out to me, you know, because when we we reported that Max Bola was getting hired, he was reported as the defensive GA. And then I had some folks at Notre Dame reach out and they were like, hey, just so you know, uh, it's not just as a, like a typical GA in the the stereotype that comes with that. You're getting a coffee. You're doing this. You're doing that. Right. You're not a you're not a. um, um a real coach. That was the stigma. Like Sean, Sean Payton was talking about this in interviews. Like, yeah, I got my start in San Diego state. And he's like, I was just running and getting coffee and donuts for the other coaches. That's what GAs used to be. And now smart coaches. And over time, coaches have gotten smarter and it's better allocation of your resources is say, Hey, let me get some young GA. That's really smart. And let me let him coach. Yeah. So the year that I was a receivers coach at Duquesne, I was a GA, but I was the receivers coach at Duquesne. And you know, cause you didn't have 10 assistants. You had like two full-time guys and, your GAs were your assistant coaches. And so it's different at different levels, but at a place like Notre Dame uh, in Alabama and things like that, when you hear like assistant such and such, if he's not one of the 10 full-time coaches, either an analyst off the field or a GA on it, and they're just giving him a different name. Uh, to the specific question, you can have 10 full-time assistant coaches that have on-field roles. 
You can have two GAs per side of the ball, and there's no limit on analysts. It's however much you're willing to pay. But analysts are technically not supposed to be coaching on the field. That's the one caveat. Now, vast majority of teams break this rule, but technically you're not supposed to be able to talk to players on the field and, 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 and provide instruction on the field. College teams break rules, Brian. Come I on. Know, right? I don't believe you at all. Don't Shocker. I slightly believe you. <laughs> Shocker. I know. I'm like being really, uh, you know, right now being very uh, controversial with these takes that I know people are uh, people are having, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, Brandon, that's how those things, that's how those things go. Yeah. Yep, that's how those things go. All right. Now we're going to wrap it up with our, our guy, just your ordinary Joe, the super chat Joe. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Here's, Here's what he, and it's more of a compliment, which I appreciate, Joe. You you can see in his avatar, Ryan, he's rocking the IB gear. So oh, yeah. Joe was one of the guys, he was at a, he was at a game and he had like, a, I, I can't remember if he had an IB hoodie on or he had an IB shirt on. And he's like, oh yeah, you think, you think I'm not, and then he pulls that shirt up and he's got another Irish breakdown shirt underneath it. Wow. I was like, my man, my That's man. That's awesome. So and Joe has been around with us for a while. And the super chat from Joe, my respect for your college football knowledge was already sky high. But your pre-existing, immediate, detailed familiarity with an offensive coordinator candidate you profiled was nothing short of dumbfounding. You are five stars. I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. Yeah. Is that a five-star rating or are you a five-star recruit? I, I, I don't know what type of five-star we're talking about. Ryan's very uncomfortable with compliments, so he has to like <laughs> turn to sarcasm and jokes because he doesn't know how to take a compliment very well. I've learned I, that. I don't. I, I'm really yes. bad with compliments. <laughs> I actually am really bad with compliments. Um, so, yes. No, Joe, we appreciate it, man, uh, very, very much, very, very much. And uh, we appreciate your support from the beginning of being here, man. Joe is one of the Joe's one of the originals as part of this uh, this YouTube show. So absolutely. Brandon says, I give him 10. <laughs> Thanks. Ten. Ten. We appreciate it. And then he said, there's a freaking 10. <laughs> so he went full Billy Bob on it. That's great. I appreciate you, Brandon. Appreciate all of you that were with us on the chat today. Hey folks, stay locked in on the message board. If we hear anything, you know what I'm going to be doing. When I get off the phone when we get done with the show, right? I'm going to be back on the phone trying to figure out what's going on. If we get word of anything, we will definitely put that on the, the uh, message board, which you can sign up for at boards.com. Also, folks, give us a like, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, sign up for the CFB Nation channel as well on the podcast platform and our YouTube channel. Check, make sure you check those out. We will have another show tonight. IB Nation Sports Talk goes live at 6 o'clock with Sean Styers and Vince D'Addario. So you want to join those guys as well. Ryan and I will be back tomorrow, 1 o'clock. I have no clue what we're going to talk about. We'll, we'll, we'll have to figure that out because we're just wanting to see these coaches get hired before we talk. We start because we were like, hey, Let's get back into the position breakdowns. Like, well, can't do this position, can't do that position. I have no clue what to talk about with the receivers because we don't know what offense they're going to be running. So, might, might have to do a special teams breakdown. Might have to. Do a yeah, I guess I don't know, man. We'll we'll figure something out. I promise <laughs> you, we'll have something fun to talk about tomorrow. So, uh, and then we'll have a mailbag on Thursday as well, and another show on Wednesday. So, anyway, for Ryan and Brian, thank you all so so much. Thank you for being with us today on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. <laughs>